The goal is to make you feel stress. <laughs> to make you feel in a three-minute clip what you live with every day. The push, the grind, the time, all the things happening constantly. We are in a series where we're talking about Advent. And this is the time of Advent. Actually, the word Advent is Latin for Adventus, meaning the arrival or the coming. And this idea that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And the first Advent happened, and one day he will return, which will be the second arrival, the second Advent. Of course, in the meantime, we get so distracted by everything. And this is the season not to continue in the grind and the craziness, but to actually slow down for a moment to think, to allow and meditate on Christ being king, on a Messiah who came to this earth for you and me. That's the goal. That's what church is about every week to remind you in the midst of all that, I can't compete with all that. But you need and I need the remembrance of what is this all about? Last week, my wife started the Advent series with hope. This thing is, hope, hope is strong, but this thing is getting low. Today, we are going to talk about joy. There's four gifts in the Advent season that traditionally church history would celebrate leading up to Christmas. And you've got hope, peace, joy, and love. We're going a little out of order today for joy. Next week, Pastor G will be speaking on peace, shalom. It's going to be great. You do not want to miss it. Today, I want to talk to you about joy. Now, I want to recap just one scripture, one set of scriptures that was talked about last week. If you did not hear last week, you need to listen. You can go online to encourage you about what hope is. Romans 5, Paul talks about hope, and this is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In fact, you see all four gifts there, hope, joy, peace, love. Before we talk about joy, just that recap of hope and the explanation that hope comes to the fullness through being tested. There's trials of hope to really see what is your hope ultimately for. The idea is that faith, Hebrews 11 says, is the substance or the action or the evidence of the thing that you're hoped for, the thing that you hope put your hope in. So if you're hoping for something, you then apply faith to that. And you do that for everything. Even 
Say you're going to your boss and hoping maybe for a raise in 2023. You are putting your hope in a raise, but then if you don't take the proper action, which is faith, to step out and have the conversation, and if you don't back up and think about how am I going to talk to my boss about this, and I'm putting into faith action of what it looks like to type up all of the reasons why I deserve a raise, your hope is in the raise, your faith is going forward. Scripture says also, We rejoice. This is a feeling and an action that we take while we're in the process of obtaining our hope. The great theologian, Cedric the Entertainer, said this about hope. He says, there's two kind of hopes and two kind of people that have different types of hopes that come to my shows. And he says this, there's one set of people We'll call them white people. This is what he says. And not Chris, so don't cancel me. This is what he says. They will be concerned about being late to his show, and they will say these words, we better get there on time, because I hope no one takes our seats. And it's kind of this idea of hope of a wish. And he says, some other people have a different kind of hope. And they will say, we want to get there. I sure hope somebody got in my seat. (laughs) One is biblical and one is not when it comes to hope. Hope is not a fleeting wish. Well, I, I hope it happens. Biblical hope is joyful expectation. I hope someone's in my seat because I'm going to talk to them. And they might get these hands, okay? Joyful expectation is the right kind of hope. But that's the idea. Joyful. I'm looking forward to it. But not all hope is joyful. Especially when you have it in the wrong thing. He says this hope ultimately comes, it produces this endurance through suffering. Produces character. The Latin word is kerosene, which actually means to etch into stone. That's what character is. It's so engraved into you. That's who you are. And this comes through our rejoicing and suffering, character being produced, and it produces our hope, and it will not put us to shame. Today, we are talking about this idea of joy. Now, joy, in the Greek, when the when, when it's mostly used in the New Testament, it's the word kara, which is joy, delight, joy, gladness, or the source of joy. Now, I've got to delineate this because a lot of times we think about the term happy. And that's not a bad term necessarily, but worldly happiness or worldly joy. In other words, the, the joy that is expected or comes out of the world is mostly based on feeling. But see, a godly biblical definition of joy is not based on feeling alone. There's feelings, yes, but there's also action. So while you'll hear words like rejoice, it becomes a command, but see, you can't command a feeling. So you hear like Paul say, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice because he's commanding you for the action of joy to come out because your hope is in the Lord. Now, When the world, though, talks about happiness or joy, it's always circumstantial. It is a feeling. And here's the crazy thing about feelings. 
You have three different things that make up and integrate yourself. You have your feelings, you have your thinking or your mind, and then you have your actions, what you actually do. The only one you can't control is feelings. You ever had, middle of the day, everything's going fine, and all of a sudden, something comes over you and you're just feeling kind of depressed? It's called Monday, anybody else have that? What happened? What had happened was, I don't know. All of a sudden, this emotion took me over, and that's not something I can command or control. And emotions in and of themselves are not bad, they're just bad leaders. Now, we can, and we're actually charged to command or control what we think about, and then what we do, how we behave, what we act. We will be subject to that. What we feel just comes, and it comes. And what happens is our body, our mind, our soul, everything doesn't want to be disintegrated. We want to be integrated. So I get this feeling, fear. Get this feeling of depression. I get this feeling of sorrow. And because I want to integrate, I start thinking about all the bad things. I start filling my mind with all of what could happen, maybe worry or fear, or you start clicking on videos that you know are going to depress you, or you listen to that one song that you know is going to make you so emo. And, and then because your body has to connect. Now, not only had that feeling I can't control, but now that's controlling my thoughts and then now my actions and behaviors because I've got to be integrated. And this is what scripture says. You can't control the feeling and yet when it comes, you can guide it by thinking about the right kind of things, placing your mind on the right kind of things, putting faith in the right kind of things, because faith for all the bad negative things that could happen, well, what if this happened, what if this happened? That's faith still. You're just faithful in thinking about the bad things and the worry as if you are God and you know what's gonna happen and it consumes you. That's faith. But we can traject that into the right things and to a trusted savior and the solid and sovereign foundations that he's building in my life. And then out of that, I produce different kind of actions. And I'm going to walk in the strength of what God says, not in what I say. This is where happiness as a feeling has to align with some kind of deeper sense of joy and truth that now can overtake that into what happens, even a new action, but then a new feeling comes in. This is how this operates. But we often just think of being happy. In fact, I mean, our America's values of the pursuit of happiness, how good I feel. And we can easily just kind of scapegoat, well, I'm not really happy because things are really, really bad. And what we will do is we will look at happy and we will juxtapose it or the opposite of happy for us because it's, it's a feeling based on circumstances. The opposite is sorrow. And yet scripture says, no, 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 no. I'm talking about not just happiness and a feeling, but a deep joy from a conviction, from a knowledge of truth despite circumstances so you can actually have sorrow. So the opposite of happiness in a worldly term is sorrow, but the opposite of joy in a godly sense is bitterness, complaining, grumbling, 
cynicism. And God wants us in this time and we're thinking about the arrival and we're preparing room in our hearts for him, for Jesus to be Lord. There is a deep joy in that. And don't get it wrong, it's not a fake happiness. Do you know the world record for the longest smile is held by a 12-year-old girl in Winnipeg, Canada for 10 hours and five minutes. I can't, most of you haven't smiled in 10 days. Like, this fake sense is not the Christian joy. It's not a deep biblical joy. A deep biblical joy comes from the elation and the remembrance and the action of the gospel of Jesus Christ being deep in our soul. A.W. Tozer great Christian author says this, the Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. Joy is contagious, but it's not dependent on circumstances. In fact, you could be joyful while in hard circumstances. Why? Because it is a deeper truth that surpasses circumstances and feelings And this is the joy. I want to read through our scripture for today, and then we're going to go back and dive into the first Christmas carol in scripture. Because as joy comes, the natural display of joy is singing, like Elf. I'm singing, I'm singing. The natural display of joy is song, what comes out of your heart. Luke 1 26 through 55 says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, "Uh, how will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. 
And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me and behold, for behold, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is the first Christmas carol. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, let it be instilled in our heart today to produce joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at this first Christmas carol, this song that comes forth from a joyful heart upon hearing the gospel message. Now, Mary, as we see, has an angel that comes to her. And imagine, I mean, just think about it. You are a teenager, you are a virgin, and an angel says, hey, you're going to have a child. And everyone's going to worship him. He's going to be on the throne of David forever. What would be your question? Uh, How? I'm a virgin. Great question. What I love about Mary is she's not questioning. You know the heart of somebody that questions and then somebody that asks a question? There's a difference between asking someone a question. Like I love it when people ask me questions and we embrace asking questions. It's a humble state. I want to learn. I want to know what you think. When you question somebody, it's a little bit different, right? It's like, what you talking about? You're you're questioning. It's a heart not to learn, but to question them. Mary's heart is a humble heart. How can this be? And I love it. He's just like, hey, it's going to happen. Okay. But here's what I love about Mary's response. It's right away, she's hearing the good news, literally the gospel message that God is going to come down to man and be with man and ultimately sit on the throne of David, conquer Everything that you've been waiting for, this Messiah is coming, and he's coming through you. Here's what's happening. She hears the message, and she's not right away elated, joyful, rejoicing. She has questions, but ultimately her response is this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And here's the first takeaway when we're talking about having deep joy rooted in the gospel. Is the gateway to joy is humble submission to God. Before you even try to get to joy, I just want that joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Before you even get to that, you have to be a humble person. Somebody who's willing to receive. 
Not that raises their fists to God. Because imagine, Mary could have done that. How could you do this to me? I'm going to be a teen mom without a husband. I live in Nazareth, which at, at that time was not a great place to live. This was a, a small town, small village of 100 to 200 people. Not much came from it. So everybody would know you. Everybody would talk about you. In fact, you could not only get in trouble, you could get death sentences for these types of things. How could you do this to me, God? doesn't sound like something that's a really good gift. And yet, her response is humility. Her response is, I trust you. Okay, and that is the beginning of joy in our life. If we don't have a humble disposition response ready to receive from the Lord, you're not going to produce joy because I rarely have seen people that produce joy when they are bitter of the soul. When they have so many offenses, when they have a victimhood spirit, everything is everybody else's fault. They don't walk in a sense of joy. In fact, Jesus knew of a lot of religious leaders that knew and memorized the Torah. They knew it word for word. They taught it to the people, and there wasn't great joy coming out of them. There was maybe circumstantial happiness based on their success, but not a deep sense of joy. He continues, after she humbly receives, notice it says this, in those days, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town to, in Judah. Because remember, Gabriel, the angel, God gave her this word, which is fascinating. Thank you so much, God, for giving this word. But then because he knew how hard this was to be, he told her, I have somebody for you that also is experiencing the word of God, and I want to get you guys together. Because God doesn't just leave us alone. In fact, when God gives us a word, he normally speaks in multiples. If you're the kind of person that goes, God told me, God told me, but he doesn't tell the other person or tell somebody else, you might not be hearing God. Sometimes I hear the word of Chris and not Christ. And that needs to be matched and challenged by people I trust and love because I'm not always right. And what I love about Mary, she doesn't show up to the town in Judah and be like, hey, God gave me a word. Look at this little baby bump. Here's what's happening. She's not prideful. She's still humble because Elizabeth just sees her. It says, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped within her womb. Like, God confirmed within her and filled her with the Holy Spirit. Now Elizabeth just goes off on her. And this is a beautiful way that God loves to speak through multiples. I heard one preacher, the famous prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, in one of his stories, he said that one day after his sermon, he gave this beautiful sermon, he comes off stage and he's talking with people and somebody came up to this man, came up to me and said, God told me tomorrow or next week I'm supposed to preach in that pulpit. And Charles Spurgeon looking at him and said, well, God didn't tell me. This idea of like, I alone hear God and I have the thing. Listen, be very careful of that because it's not showing humility and God will prove his word to you and pull people around you, especially spirit-filled people to help guide you in that word. Watch this. 
Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We need to, we need to honor uh, Mary a little bit more. You know, we as Protestants don't do a good job of giving Mary honor. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic environment where there's a lot of veneration and honor to her. Don't go that far necessarily, but we need to honor her more for what she did. Verse 43, and watch how deep the theology and understanding of God Elizabeth had as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to show you the Trinity in these few verses. You've got the Holy Spirit of God speaking through Elizabeth, and she says this, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she's saying, the Lord is, is the baby in your womb. That's my Lord, the baby. So God's the baby, okay? The Holy Spirit is speaking about the baby Jesus who's God. And then she says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So the Lord God is speaking to the baby who is Lord by the Holy Spirit. So who's God, Jesus or, or the Lord? And the Holy Spirit is speaking. The answer is yes. The beauty of the dance and the relationship of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit who loves and submits to the Father and the Father who loves and submits, submits to the Holy Spirit and the Father who loves and submits to the Son and the Son who loves and submits to the Father and the Holy Spirit. This beautiful dance, this beautiful Trinity that produces joy and delight in selflessness and love and glory of one another. Elizabeth, in her small little understanding right there, already understood the gospel and understood who God was spoken by the Holy Spirit. So the first takeaway is the gateway to joy is humble submission to God. The second is godly fellowship kindles joy. I like this word kindle because the job of the church, and if you're a parent in here, the job of you for kids is to gather kindling around their hearts and then pray that the Holy Spirit ignites it on fire. That's what we do here in churches. Like pray and I'm having kindling, like little sticks here and little sticks here. I'm giving little advice here, gospel here, understanding. But I can't change a person. I can't make you devote yourself to Jesus, give yourself to Jesus. But I can have the kindling through fellowship, through being a spirit-filled person. In our small groups, we set kindling around. So you have other spirit-filled believers around you in godly fellowship to kindle and ignite joy in your heart. So you're going through a hard time. You show up with another believer. You hear from them what God has done, and they have had the same experience. And God came through in this way, and it starts to ignite hope and kindling joy and fire because God is not a respecter of persons, but of faith. So that kindling can create something within your life, a deep joy in the hope of God. That amen would, would be good right there. Um, second service, you guys are quiet. Our first service is loud, and they're here early. What's wrong with you guys? Okay. All of this, we haven't even got to Mary yet. 
The joy that has come on her, despite her circumstances, despite the confusion, and how is this going to work, and how are people going to judge me, and all of the questions that come her way, as soon as she gets that kindled, she hears that God has spoken to somebody else, confirming the word of God, the gospel of Jesus. Now, watch, it produces joy. Verse 46, and Mary said, she starts to sing, my soul magnifies the Lord. I love this. That word soul in the Greek is psyche, mind, heart, that connection. She says, now, my thinking, everything, now my action is rejoice. My soul magnifies. And listen, you magnify the Lord. Think of a a magnifying glass. Like you're making him bigger than all of the other questions. Joy erupts when we magnify and go, God, you are bigger, you are able, you are able to do things, you speak through me, you can do so much more than all of these little problems and things that I'm not sure about, and it produces rejoicing. But see, when you make everything else, like that video, everything else is bigger, no one can compete with that. And that stuff is so much bigger to you because it's constantly through you and in you. And it's not all bad, but we've got to make sure we magnify the right things unless we go around getting upset. God, why? And God's going, you're more faithful in thinking about that than what I can do. As Gabriel said, anything is possible with God. You get around those things more than you get around the kindling of fellowship with godly believers. We have no right to raise a fist to God as much as a humble surrender to him to say, my soul needs to magnify you, Lord. She says, and my spirit rejoices. This is the breath, the wind of God, the spirit of God is rejoicing. Now joy has come through humble submission and kindling of fellowship. For he has looked on the humble estate of the servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I love this. She says, my spirit rejoices in God. Notice she says, my Savior. So again, Protestants, we, give, we need to give more honor to Mary. But man, she needs a Savior too. She calls him my Savior. I recognize my need. And this is her humble estate. This is how she looks at herself. One of the things that will rob you of joy is when you start comparing yourself to everybody else, and especially when you say, well, that person could never be saved. Well, that person's completely wrong and immoral. I read the other day that 62% of Democrats consider Republicans morally evil, and 72% of Republicans consider Democrats morally evil. Based on political views, it's gotten so religious, and it's dangerous, because the moment I say this person is that, they could never be saved, but of course, God saved me. I mean, I've got a good heart. I mean, I'm in a good place. Like, I'm super humble. You have forgotten the gospel altogether, that God, while you were a sinner, found and saved you. 
pulled you out, not because you're cute and great and beautiful, but because he wants to make you that way. But it starts with that humbleness, that humble estate that I need a savior, not that I need a genie, but I need a savior to help me, to encourage me, to change me, and someone to follow. Not for him to follow me, for my prestige. So if we look at someone else and do that, we have forgotten our place. We have forgotten the gospel of God where I'm not pitting you as a horrible person. I'm reminding where I was, and God can extend that to you as well. And listen, that becomes joyful surrender because now I'm proclaiming what God's done in my life and then sharing it with you. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She goes on, 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's ready to give mercy. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts that have self-justification and self-righteousness. This is good news. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Listen, she's in Judah, so she could, I mean, she is, she knows about the temple. She knows about the religious festivals that were God ordained and instructed, but she knows I, I could never get close to God. I'm not like a priest, and yet God has now come to me. That humble state. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. In other words, the ones that have just filled themselves don't feel like they need anything. He has left them empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She preaches this gospel. The gospel doesn't say be good and then God will bless you. She recognizes this is an incredible opportunity and now she's rejoicing. There's a deep joy fixed and firm on the gospel that God would come to me and God would use me to do great things. A humble servant who is in need of a savior. Listen, this is the message that we need today. Not just 10 steps to live a happy life. I can give you a bunch of great steps to like ha find some happiness and joy. And all that's really, really good. Like, find it great. But man, that can't be the bottom because it's circumstantial. Because how many people, especially in this time, if you gave them our steps, well, just, you know, eat right. You need to get some rest. You need to really love your job and find a job that you love. And then you'll be happy and joyful. Listen, at that time, ain't nobody going to be able to have that kind of happiness. Especially in Nazareth but a deep joy that comes from the knowledge of God and the acceptance of a savior. And then knowing that savior is gonna use me to impact the rest of the world. Listen, that's the Christian message. And that's the message you have to be reminded of.